0: Dear non-cussing people, we are cussing people, be advised. Hey y'all, I'm Jen, I'm from Oakland, and I'm a queer black feminist scholar.
1: This is Darren, hailing from the mean streets of Anaheim. I'm an introvert, a novelist, and a nerd.
0: We're early 30-somethings with three kids and over a decade of marriage.
1: This is a podcast about the realities of Blackness and adult life. We do adult differently.
0: This is That Black Couple. Greetings. This is episode five on the erasure of Black women's work in the mainstream. What are they grabbing this week? That's your job, not mine. Ah, oh, shit. The world is stressful right now. The president is calling people out in the NFL for taking the knee, calling them sons of bitches. I don't think we should be drinking right now. Just grab your chamomile. Just just be calm. Just just chill out? Just chill. Grab your chamomile and have a seat. This is that black couple. This is Jen.
1: This is Darren.
0: And before we get started, please make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ThatBLK couple, on Facebook at that Black couple, and look us up on the internets at www.ThatBlackCouple.com.
1: You can stream episodes on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and SoundCloud, and you have to rate us really, really high or we're going to be feeling some type of way about it. Very salty. So make sure you do that. Make sure you leave positive comments thank you thank you so on today's episode we are talking about the erasure of black women's work in the mainstream and how that is rooted in patriarchy and first things first we will talk about the canadian poet laureate who stole still i rise for maya angelou <laughs> trifling which honestly on on a side note as we're talking about it yeah our son is reading about maya angelou at this exact moment right that's one of the books we bought for him and right he's like he's all deep and it, right and at the same time, we're talking about how she's being erased. Right. In the world. Right. Okay. Sorry. And then from there, we will go on over to the role of black women in the workplace for the conversation. Uh, we'll talk about some very public examples of black women's erasure and the ways patriarchy also operates to shut black women like Jamel Hill and Monroe Bergdorf up. And then lastly, in the reflection, we will discuss our own relationships with the erasure of black women and how we navigate that in our lives and in our relationship. We've written a few articles over at watercoolercombos.com covering today's topics. We'll make sure to drop those in the show notes for you. Make sure you go read them. Lego
0: All right. So I am really bitter that we even have to record this topic today. <laughs> Me too. Like I'm not even happy about it, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. But I came up on this poet laureate named Pierre de Rousseau, and I hope that that's the correct sp- the way to pronounce that name. But I was... Kicking it on Twitter, you know, at Jen Jack, you know, Darren W. Jackson. You can find him there. He's never on. So get after him. But I was kicking it on Twitter, talking to my home girl Olivia Cole, author of the Panther in the Highest series, also the author of the forthcoming Conspiracy of Stars, out in January 2018. Copped that on Amazon.
1: Pre-order now.
0: Pre-order now. I've gotten mine. But I was talking to her because I was mad. She had saw this article about how this poet laureate, this ex-poet laureate who is now deceased, had stolen Maya Angelou's Still I Rise and basically was able to do it because all he did was translate it into French and nobody noticed. And that was how he became a poet laureate (laughs) (laughs) by stealing rap lyrics from people like Tupac Shakur and poetry from black women like Maya Angelou. And I was sitting there And I'm getting, like, pissed, right? So I'm looking at this. But then I'm like, well, of course he did, right? Like, of fucking course he did. I'm not that surprised. So I saw an article on The Root from Michael Harriet, who was looking at, you know, this whole thing. And he was examining how, I guess there was an article on The Guardian that was showing the plagiarism that this De Rousseau character had gone through. And they actually did side-by-side, like, comparisons of the original poetry two de Rousseau's and the similarities were just laughable actually like laughable it was almost like you could have dropped it in like a basic turn it in and like blackboard and it would have come up like 70% the same but but in a different language but in a different language right <laughs> so for me I'm like okay so here we are this white dude this white French dude in Canada is plagiarizing Maya Angelou to become a poet laureate Got it, but when you really think about Black women's work globally, is that really different than how how we see Black women treated overall?
1: No, I mean there's there's a long history of this. There's a this
0: long is, history of it.
1: This is this is more the
0: norm than anything else. Absolutely, and I was thinking about how it happens across industries. Michael Harry made a comparison to Kendall and Kylie, right? Kendall and Kylie. I always say that Kylie looks like a mayonnaise sandwich. In 2010. <laughs> she really did. Kendall. <laughs> Kendall. Oh <my> <laughs> Kendall always been kind of cute. But Kylie. Kylie looked like she was one of them Osborne kids.
1: Yeah, she she had to put in some work.
0: She had to put in a lot of work. She and I love invest. that meme. I love that meme where they have her looking up. And it's like, ooh, I like that culture. You know? <laughs> Because she looked like a mayo sandwich in 2010. And then she was like, oh, my sister is on the come up. This is a great, like, algorithm. I'm going to follow this path. It's working for Iggy. It's working for Kim. It's working for Chloe. Oh, I can do this. I'm about to jubilee this shit. And here she is today. And she's over this huge, like, Kylie Cosmetics or whatever. And now people think that she's beautiful because she has injections and things. And listen. If I had money, I'd be injecting shit too, so don't get it twisted. Like a bitch would get all types of surgeries. I'm not against that. (laughs) What I'm saying is what I'm saying is that she looked like a fucking mayonnaise sandwich. She looked like something you wouldn't touch on a hot day. She looked like something you'd only make if you didn't have all the groceries you had in your house. If you ran out of shit and you like fuck all I got is mayonnaise and bread. Like
1: like when you like when you have water in your cereal.
0: Right, and you like I gotta eat. That's what she looked like. She looked like that last thing where you're like, damn, all the Kardashians is done. We got this last dinner left. I'll have the mayonnaise sandwich. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm trying to say. Right. That's what I'm trying to say. And my thing is like this, like get your paper or whatever, but don't do it by extorting and exploiting the ways that black women in particular move throughout the world in their natural bodies and are not rewarded in the same ways. That's my problem. My problem is that Kylie is unfairly rewarded for some shit she didn't even have paid for, or maybe had on pre-sale or layaway or some shit back in 2010. But now we're sitting here like, okay, you're on like some multi-billion dollar, multi-million dollar industry because of some shit you bought. You know what I'm saying? But black girls out here killing it and been out here killing it, for generations, for million, yeah. for millennia, we got homegirl from the own fleek who came up with own fleek, and she's still trying to get her shit off the ground. And Kylie out here still in cultures, and made it, and that that's what gets me.
1: Well, I mean, and that's and that's that's what's always been done. You know, black culture is always commodified because there is so much value there. So it's very easy for someone who's an outsider to go, "Wow, this black culture thing, there's there's something to that. Let me." Let me just, you know, take a slice of this and just take it to the masses and watch them feast over
0: it. Right. And it's that thing where, you know, people really love black cultural and black cultural products, but they don't love black people. Right. And I I think about these phenomenal women shirts that we saw. They were really popular back in July. So back in July, um, I think it's July 31st, was Black Women's Equal Pay Day. And I believe that that Women's Equal Pay Day is April 18th. Women's Equal Pay Day is the day when white women would have to work up until that day to make the same amount as the average man would in the preceding year. So what men made in January to December of 2017, it took white women, the average white woman, up until April 2018 to make that same amount. Mm -hmm. But it took black women on average up until July 31st, right? So it took three more months, additional months to make that uh, same amount. And so on black women's equal pay day. you saw all these phenomenal woman shirts, you know, for people who know Maya Angelou's work, who are familiar with her, it's like, Oh, that's lit. What is that? I got excited. I saw these phenomenal women shirts. I'm like, Oh shit. Maya out here living it up. I hope this is going to her, her uh, estate. I hope I'm about to put some coins in Maya Angelou's family's pocket. Like, Phenomenal woman shirts. That's got to be going to Maya Angelou. Mm-hmm. Then you dig deep and you find that all these phenomenal woman shirts are being sold by not even black people or not even phenotypically black people. Like so, when we think about Maya Angelou, Maya Angelou's like the six footer. Maya Angelou's thick waisted, kinky haired, big lips, dark skin, queer as fuck, and proud, and proud. You know, ex sex worker, grew up poor, wrote all about that shit. And so, so I've always had this kind of kindred thing with my Angelou because like, you know, I'm six foot four, grew up in the hood, kinky hair. I was like, yeah, this woman is brilliant. And she's a, you know, she's a possibility model because she's got these like wide hips and these big feet and she out here and stunning and like not, and not phased by these like European beauty standards and these ideas Mm -hmm. of what femininity should look like. And, and becoming a U.S. Poet Laureate. And becoming a U.S. Poet Laureate without copying somebody else's poetry. Exactly. Exactly. And then, you know, post-mortem, we have people taking her most iconic work, putting it on a shirt, and then selling it. And then not even having, you think that it would say like, in quotations, and then put dash Maya Angelou. Her name's not even on the shirt. Nope. And of all, of all days to sell this shirt on Black Women's Equal Pay Day. The irony and the gall,
1: Right. And then and then you see who's wearing it and, you know we see Listen, Hillary Clinton got one on.
0: Hillary Clinton had one. It was a bunch of white girls I ain't never seen before. I was like, who that white girl? Who's she doing a phenomenal woman shirt? And then you're like, this is not for you. Nope. My Angela was not writing to you. She was not writing about you. This was not yours, And this is the commodification of black women's labor. This is the commodification of black women's work. And it's like, you do this after someone has passed on. How do you, how do you do this and not feel like shit? How do you do this and not think, wow, I am literally a fucking scum. I don't, I don't understand that.
1: I don't, I don't get it either, to be honest with you. And when we were, when we were talking about this episode, right before we started, the one, the one thing that came to mind to me was dream girls so you know i think almost everyone's seen the oscar-winning dream girls movie with beyonce and Mm. jennifer hudson you know jennifer hudson killed that she killed that yes she deserved that oscar of course and one of the one of the parts in that movie when when their group was very early on in their stages was they were depicting how black artists would record music and then a white artist would basically just cover the same exact song and get way more notoriety, get way more fame, get way more money. And then the black artist often would be somewhat left in the dust. That wasn't like a fictitious thing. A lot of what showed up in the Dreamgirls movie was just based on what actually happened in history. And this this notion of white people covering black artists was a very prevalent thing. It showed up with, with Little Richard's Tutti Frutti. Mm-hmm. It showed up with uh, Fats Domino's um, Ain't That a Shame. It showed, up, it showed up all over the place. And what would happen is, you know, these black artists, they would be successful. They would actually be known. They'd be touring. They'd be making a lot of money off of these songs. And the record label would say, hey, this is a good song. Let's just give it to this, this white person, have them do it, have them make a whole bunch of money, have them take the same thing, just like we were talking about, that that's, you know, rooted in black culture and is serving black people. And let's just have this white person carry it out and serve it to everyone else. All these, all these other cultures, all these white people, and make it big, and it would be it would be not as good. The person would be not as talented. And you think about there's been so many covers of Tutti Frutti that have just been subpar to yeah. Little Richard, right? Yeah. And they were making money on that. They were making a lot of money. In a lot of cases, the black people that actually wrote these songs didn't really even know the copyright laws, so they'd be paid like a thousand dollars.
0: This know? is what I always, whenever we talk about this, I think about TLC and exactly how, how tragic their story was when they had that biopic. And you're looking at this like, damn, y'all could have made so much money and how they were know. exploited. They had no idea.
1: And and that's and that's exactly what we're talking about here. Ex- exploiting black women. Right. TLC, like a great example. You know, they were just three, three young women trying to make it excited. You know, they were successful. You know, people knew who they were. They had you know, they had chart topping success and they thought, wow, we're doing it. And then they checked their bank account and they're like, wait, it's empty. I got a dollar. Like, hold on. How did this happen? And you go look around them and everyone else got money. Everybody else is paid. All the men. Right. Everyone that's not doing the work that they're doing. Right. That's not producing the music that they're making that that doesn't have the, the X factor that that group had.
0: Right. They have
1: money. Their pockets are lined. But TLC out here, bankrupt.
0: Right. And that's my issue is like it's a cultural artifact. It's not like it's a one off thing. It's not like it's like, oh, people always say, oh, black people educate yourselves. When you hear stories about this, they say, oh well black people need to learn how to read contracts. No, 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 that's not the issue. The issue is not that black people need to learn how to read contracts. Like, sure, you know, capital education and shit is important, great. But the issue is that there's a system that is set up to game and exploit black people. That's, the, that's the, how the system is created. That's how we have issues like redlining and you know other sorts of predatory systems that have for generations worked to actually isolate and exclude us from, from actually having any intergenerational wealth to hand down to our children and to other posterity and our families. So it's not like it's like, oh, well, they just need to learn how to read better. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. If it was about reading better, then Kylie Jenner wouldn't actually have a career, right? She wouldn't just be being rewarded at like, what was she like, 17 or something when she got her first clothing line or whatever. Right. No, it's it's both that we are not necessarily, we don't have access to resources that help us to understand these systems, sure, But more importantly, is a system of white supremacy and exploitation that says that black cultural product is more valuable when it is wielded and leveraged by non-black people, specifically white people. And when we talk about femininity and womanhood, when we think about who gets to be feminine and what that looks like, we are not talking about black women. Right. I mean, even even going back to the phenomenal women T-shirts, right?
1: When you take Maya Angelou's message, right. and what that poem was actually about, right, and then you slap it on her shirt and let everyone across, you know, the world wear it, right. What what they're portraying and what they're perceiving phenomenal woman to mean is not what she, the
0: what she was writing about. Her that phenomenal woman is inherently about stepping away from white beauty ideals and standards and saying that black women's bodies are perfect the way that they are. The whole point of Maya Angelou's writing career was to say that y'all be shitting on black women but still still i'm about to win this shit i'm about to beast this shit and
1: still or, i rise still i
0: rise that's the whole point that's the whole point of being a phenomenal woman what she was saying was that i'm out here killing it it was the ain't i a woman of black, of black women's poems yeah it was like i'm still a woman and y'all still trying to take this shit from me and so when you when you slap it on a t-shirt and put it and put hillary clinton in it
1: lord
0: Child, I saw that and I was like, Oh my God, what is happening? And, and, and people go, Oh, well, you're, you're just mad and you're pulling the race card and blah, blah, blah. No, this is not a race card. That's not what this is. You are taking cultural products. You are taking cultural history from someone who has passed on a dear, beloved black woman hero. Right, a heroine of the black community, who has who has been an icon for young black people, specifically young black girls and femmes, specifically young black girls and femmes who write poetry and who perform poetry, and you are taking her message and saying, now let's give it to the white girls too, y'all.
1: Yeah, this this is not how you honor my angel. This is
0: not how you honor my angel Just
1: Angelou. just like when you take her work and you translate it into French and present it as if you're own, and then you, you and you get to her. be the
0: Canadian Poet Laureate. That this
1: this is the the exact way that you erase her
0: that's how you erase her and that's why we're talking about this shit today
1: thank you for listening we are the proud founders of com, a platform at the intersections of blackness culture and adulting We started That Black Couple to dive deeper into the issues facing young Black millennial folks navigating the anti-Black, anti-queer, white supremacist world today. This podcast is supported by donations and patronage of our listeners and readers of our blog. You should head over there and check out some of the content when you get a chance.
0: If you would like to become a monthly subscriber or patron and help fund our content, Sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash combos. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Please consider giving $5 or $10 per month to help us build our platform and grow our organization. We really want to hire new writers and social media people, y'all, but we can't do that without your help. You can also give a one-time donation at www.paypal.me forward slash water cooler combos. All donations are welcome. You can stream the show on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. When you listen, please consider hitting that heart button, sharing an episode, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving some dope-ass comments. This helps us with our page views and also gives us more listeners for the show. Thank you so much.
1: Let's get back to the show. So, let's get into the conversation. Let's do it. I want to start out With some hard facts, because a lot of people, when you when you bring up erasure and you talk about cultural, cultural appropriation and and how people are stealing your culture, they they try to say, oh, you're just hating on so and so. You just you just can't stand that Iggy is being so successful. You you know, you just don't like the Jenners. You know, no, there's actual real stakes that are tied to this. There are real people that are affected by these things that that go down. And so we're going to give you some actual hard facts behind it. Right. So, number one, on average, black women workers are paid only sixty-seven cents on the dollar relative to non non-Hispanic white men. Uh huh. So, right. So, just just starting out, just 67. this has a real broad baseline. Right. Black women just ain't even getting paid. So,
0: while while, while non-Hispanic white men out there getting a bottle of Sprite, I had to get a can of Fanta.
1: Maybe. Maybe. Pro- probably like. Orange soda. Orange soda. Nondescript. Generic. Off-brand. Got it. Right. And then black women also work more hours than white women. Right. Right. So th- this is one of the stats I thought was really interesting. Married black women with children worked over 200 hours more per year than married white or Hispanic women with children.
0: Wait. So so you said 200 hours more per year. Per year. That's five weeks.
1: Yeah. Five, they're They're actually working five more weeks
0: so no vacations of time
1: no vacations, late nights, early mornings, right of just work right and the, and these these aren't like you know just some random stats these are these are real stats on on what's going on in the world from where these stats are from the Economic Policy
0: Institute. Uh-huh.
1: So, you know, this isn't, you know, your mama who did a survey of her friends around the corner.
0: But listen, don't hate on your mama doing a survey of her friends around the corner because, listen, mama's friends be right.
1: <laughs> and, and honestly, no, honestly, That's
0: qualitative data and that's high quality data. That's good stuff. Well,
1: And honestly, if we really did that type of a survey, it would probably match. It would
0: match. It would match these results that we're seeing from economic politics. I guarantee it would be spot on.
1: And so, I mean, the whole the whole point here, like as we're talking about black women's work being erased, we're also bring. I want to bring these stats into the conversation to say they're doing more work, they're working longer, they're getting paid less for their work, and at the end of the at the end of the day, they are then being erased for all of that extra effort that they're putting in. Right. And On the back end of that, there's more loss. So it's not just, oh, I'm not making as much money or, oh, I have to work harder. But when you make less money, when you have to work harder, it makes it harder for you to actually provide for your family. It makes it harder for you to, to build wealth. It makes it harder for you to, to spend time with your loved ones. Right. You know, there's psychological, emotional effects. There's financial effects. All of these things that come and impact a person's life. Right. And all of this this trial and turmoil that people are going through and these black women are then being erased on the tail end. And that's what I'm thinking about. When
0: you talk about this in terms of like black women working 200 more hours per year than a married white woman. And I'm thinking about how I always was so bitter growing up because all my white friends would go on vacation. And they always had mm-hmm. vacations, and like their their moms. I remember them be like, "Oh, I need a vacation. Oh, I've got to get out to Cabo. Oh, I've got to take this vacation." <laughs> and they were so tired all the time. Oh, I need a vacation. My mom never took vacations. Like my mother never took vacations. I think she took all of like two vacations when I was growing up, and she didn't even take me with her because she was like, "Fuck this shit. I got out of here." And I can't even hate on her because she needed she needed vacation. Yeah. And she and you think about it, like think about how many black moms like growing up and shit especially single moms, my mom's a single mother, like can't take any time off who, who don't have anywhere to put their child. I had cousins, luckily so I could go to my auntie's house or whatever, or I could go to someone's house from church. But if you're working five additional weeks a year, Just to survive and to feed your family, you're not taking a vacation. You're probably not getting enough rest. That's probably contributing to all these increased rates of hypertension and heart disease and mental health issues that we see rampant in black communities, right? It it contributes to, it has all these ripple effects, all these downstream effects. And that's what bothers me is that people always like, when we have these conversations about black women being erased and their labor being erased, they always reduce it to a conversation about dollars and cents as if the only losses that affect the black community are going to be found in our wallets in our bank accounts as if having schools close or having black women who teach in these schools being let off of these jobs and there's no other places for them to work as if having you know the opportunities that they've worked for they go and get these college degrees at these for-profit universities that exploit them for money and then they don't actually get a job after them all that's going to impact them is now the loans no it's not just the loans it's not just the schools closing and the schools not recognizing that those black women have been teaching these kids for all these years it's the fact that now they don't have a way to take care of their family and they've invested themselves in institutions that don't invest back in them right they've invested themselves in a society that doesn't invest back in them and that's my other issue like we see issues like think about jamel hill and Monroe Bergdorf. These are two other examples to me where it's like, Jamel Hill, I don't even like sports. Like, anybody who knows me knows I don't check for no organized sports. I think the whole concept of organized sports is patriarchal, capitalistic, and white supremacist. Period. That's it.
1: Yeah, you've you've made yourself very clear I on that. I've made myself very clear you've about that. You've tweeted about it. You've written about it. It's Had everywhere. Nauseam. It's everywhere. It's not hard to find. It's not
0: hard to find. But Jamel Hill works her ass off. She's a a newscaster for a sports Center. She's been doing this for like I don't even know how many years. She's pretty much the only black woman who's really respected yeah. doing it. She's at the top of her She's game. She's the top of her game. All of her peers, her peers, you know of all races and genders respect her and she legit went on Twitter you know this month earlier this month, and made some comments I think it was September eleventh. She posted some tweets and basically said the same shit we've all been saying about Donald Trump. That he's a white supremacist and that he basically pals around white supremacists. Because that's what he that's what he does.
1: This is not controversial. That's
0: what he does it's
1: there are a laundry list of receipts. We
0: have receipts. So she says this, he gets mad, you know, and then the whole White House is like fire Jamel Hill because now the White House is trying to get private citizens fired. Because this is a thing in the year of our Lord 2017, that the White House now comes out against private citizens to get them fired from their jobs, and, and that's what we're concerned about, and right that's now? what we're worried about. We're, Kim Jong Un <laughs> trying to blow our asses up, and he's like, "Get her fired." We worry about sports. Center. We worry about sports exactly. So, but but what gets me about this is that Jamel Hill has been out here dealing with all these racist classes, gendered sexist misogynistic assholes trashing her and treating her like she did not belong in you know the big boys game all these years right and the moment she decides to talk about politics which is something that applies to her right it it definitely applies to her. She is a citizen of this United States as last I checked. And she has to cover the politics that applies to the people who she's covering, so people in the NBA, NFL, if they're getting called sons of bitches and you know last I checked Trump was also trying to get Kaepernick fired. Mm-hmm. So she has to cover this is sports news. This is sports news. And now that she wants to actually speak and be heard on an issue of mass import, she is now being trashed by everyone, including the White House, right? The White House. But what gets me is, what gets me is that it has become a gendered conversation. You know, like I've seen black men like, oh, are we going to support Jamel? Is she going to have our backs, right? She supported some other like Twitter threads that came through and some other stuff that was kind of like talking about misogyny. And there was some black men who were like, oh, we were supporting you when you were talking about Trump and now you betray us. I'm like, what girl? (laughs) Are you for reals right now? So you going to sit here and tell me that you down with Jamel if she calls out white supremacy. But when she calls you on your misogynist bullshit, you're like, fuck you, never setting up for black women again. What is wrong with us? What universe is this?
1: You know, some, pe- some people just aren't for the liberation of all people. Exactly. And we, you know, we watched, we we were watching this unfold on Twitter where people... People were all about, oh yeah, you know, let's stand it for for Cap, you know, we got we gotta we gotta back him and it's like, but wait, hold on. You you wanna support him, but where's right. the support for Jamel Hill, this black woman? She right. she's facing a lot too. She she stands to lose her job, right. she stands to lose a, a way of right. of having a livelihood, just like Cap does. And we were talking about this before about, you know, Colin Kaepernick, you know. He all right. He'll be all right. If, if he don't never throw a football again in his he life. He
0: will be all right. He'll be all right. He been giving away thousands and thousands of dollars and ain't got no job. He will be all right.
1: People are fighting for him for the for the right for him to play a game and get paid millions of dollars Right, that he actually does not need to, listen, to, to make it and survive.
0: Listen, I'm not going to do a Kaepernick episode. This is not about him. I no, can't do not. it. But even thinking about Monroe Borgdorf. Monroe Borgdorf is a trans activist who, you know, was signed by L'Oreal Paris to be a part of their diversity campaign. Their diversity campaign. To be a a spokesmodel for their diversity campaign. They fired her within days of hiring her for a post that she had already deleted. That said that all white people were racist. Which they are. It's not a secret. It's not a secret. (laughs) But in the post she explained that it's because all white people benefit from white supremacy. And again we have an article about this on watercolorconvos.com. But. She's been very clear, and i actually been very impressed with Bergdorf about this, because whenever she discusses this topic, she's very clear and very precise in what she's trying to say. Yes. She's very clear that... Her post was about the fact that white supremacy is a system that all white people benefit from. And being a biracial person herself, she said this. She said she's, she's not, she's not saying that she hates white people or anything like that. That's not interpersonal. She's saying that as a system, this is a, about a system of whiteness that operates in a way to make it easier for white people to move throughout the world. And all she's saying is that you need to acknowledge that shit and understand that you benefit from it. And when you benefit from it, some of us we are harmed by it, and mm-hmm. she's like, I don't understand why this is happening to me, right? Now, granted, she's on her come up or whatever, but I, I wanted to bring up the example of both Jamel Hill and Monroe Bergdorf because I feel like this is one of those ways where, like, Munroe Bergdorf got fired, right? And she said this is like one of the darkest times of her life because people were like sending her death threats and like she had to like go into hiding for a few days or whatever because this was horrible for her. She doesn't have the platform and the access that someone like Jamel Hill does, right? Right and we also know that trans massage noir is a thing and so the way that she's been being treated because she's also a trans woman how that is is very a very particular type of hatred and oppression and how that's very scary and very violent That needs to be recognized as well and i think that in the cases of both jamel hill and Borkdorf, what we're seeing is that we are not fully recognizing the ways that black women put their selves on the lines for us every single day They really put themselves out there and risk their lives. They give a lot of themselves. And I say Mm -hmm. they as if I'm I'm not a black woman. But, you know, like we, we do this every single day. It's kind of the way we live our lives. And there's labor. There's emotional, physical, intellectual labor that we do every single day. And often for free. Twitter is free 99, right? Right. Jamel Hill didn't have to go on there and use her platform to do what she did. And there's a lot of people with her platform size and larger who haven't said shit. Yep. Monroe Bergdorf didn't have to do what she did either. And there's a lot of people with platforms her size and larger who ain't said shit.
1: Well, and and that's the thing, like you said, you're impressed with Monroe Bergdorf because even after all the fallout and getting fired and all the blowback, she could have just stayed home.
0: She could have said... I'm tapping out, y'all.
1: She could have said, this is scary. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to sit here and eat some sandwiches and some chips. Some mayo sandwiches. Some mayo sandwiches and <laughs> chips. <laughs> and wait for this whole thing to just blow over and then try to, you know, kind, kind of try to best. But she didn't do that. She went out and she was she was holding interviews. Right.
0: And that's the thing. And I feel like a lot of times, like, Black women step up. Step up and do the work that other people are either unwilling or incapable of doing you know and we need to support them and we need that. to support that shit and stop fucking usurping and exploiting that shit and i think that's the same thing like your article on Oedipus core gets to that exact same point and it's and it happens in all types of industries and that's another way that it happens in in, in literature and art
1: and it this Oedipus core thing just drives me crazy because you know, Nettie wasn't doing nothing. Nettie don't never bother nobody. She's just out here, you know, living her best life, smiling, you know. <laughs> if you look at her Twitter feed, it's just a it's just a Twitter feed of black joy. <laughs> that's all it is. But you know, Nettie Corfor, she's a very well known, widely respect, respected um sci-fi and fantasy writer. Mm-hmm. Her her book, Who Fears Death, a multiple award winning everyone everyone I think that's ever read that book has said how much they love it and how it's just an amazing it's dope. book. And so the big news that's been happening for her recently is HBO optioned her book for a series. Which, I mean, obviously we know this is HBO. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. That's 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 a big check. That's a lot of notoriety that comes with that. This is a big deal. But what has happened as this news has unfolded, as it's it's grown, and and more and more announcements come out, what we're really seeing is her name pretty much being erased. We saw pictures, you know, lead pictures for the articles where they would chop the 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 book cover to not include her name. I saw that. Right. We saw a lot of these articles, where they would more closely associate it with the executive producer, who just happens to be George R. R. Martin, and just uh, happens to be a white guy. Right, just happens to be a white guy. <laughs> Um, you know, they'll have his name in the headline all day. They'll have his name in the first paragraph all day. Nadia Korfor half the time you're not really reading her name until the end, like in a little informational. Oh yeah, this is based on her book that she wrote, and it was it was really well you know known, and people liked it. It was great, but we're gonna talk about George R R Martin because you know he wrote Game of Thrones, and this Game of Thrones thing is really big on HBO, and that's Mm -hmm. what we you know really completely erasing her from the process and not right. giving her the props that she deserves. Right. And like you said, I wrote an article about this. I'm really fired up about it. I wrote a whole lot of information. You did. I talked about, you did about how this can affect her in multiple different ways. And a she lot retweeted of people, you too. Yeah. Because it, it goes to her respect <laughs> that, that she gets for the work that she did. It right. goes towards future projects that she might be working on or future, you know, TV or movie programs that might come up based upon her work. Right. And, and the fact that her name is not even being closely associated with her own work, and that this might be something that's a huge success, that could affect future checks that she could get for other things.
0: Absolutely, it
1: affects future book sales. If people, if people know, oh, Nedy Akorfor is behind this story, I gotta go. I gotta go buy all her other books. But if we're not putting her name up front. They're thinking, oh, George R.R. R. Martin, yeah, just like the Game of Thrones thing. Right. Like, there's a lot of ways this this can come and hurt her on the back end when you erase her name. And this goes right to what we're talking about of when you erase black women and tying them to their own work, just like Maya Angelou, like we were talking about earlier, when you take Maya Angela's name away from Phenomenal Women... Number one, you're changing the meaning of of the term itself. Like, Absolutely,
0: who fears death? You know,
1: Nadia Korfor is, is
0: a Nigerian American woman.
1: Right, she's Nigerian American. When, right. when you when you when you take that out of it, and you put George R.R. Martin in, right, it makes it look like, oh, look at this nice white man coming <laughs> in, and, you know, doing these these stories about the affirmative about, action stories. You
0: know, <laughs> Like what? diversity why,
1: why are we doing that number one and we know we know a I lot know of why. reason is is because that makes it more palatable for white people right. but number two it's it's the the disrespect is what drives me crazy yeah. and i think this goes right back to monroe bergdorf and to jamel hill like you said they're out here on the front lines doing the good work you know I'm I'm writing no, uh, novels. I'm a novelist. I'm a writer. I know how hard it is to write a novel and right. to get it published and get it out there and get people to read it and then to get awards. Like that's a that's a multi-year process where you could have invested all that time, energy, and effort and gotten zero in the end. You right. could have had you and your mama and her three her three church friends read it at the end of the day. Right for all that time and energy you put in. Right. But she has this massive book that's right. that you know it's been out for years and people still love it and are still you know recommending it to other people to read. And you're erasing her name?
0: Right. And it's, it's interesting because I feel like this is something that we see. is not just in popular culture. It's not just in mainstream culture. This is a phenomenon that we also see in organizing and social action. Yes. When we talk about this, I think about folks like Ida B. Wells. So shout out to Megan francis her work on the civil rights era and the NAACP. I, I was reading in her book um, about how Ida B. Wells was denied entry into the NAACP. Ida B. Wells was the foremost anti-lynching activist. She was a journalist who risked her literal life to tell the story of lynching after her three friends at the People's Grocer in, in Memphis, Tennessee, were murdered and lynched because of a rival grocer's desire to have their groceries shut down. And after being politicized in that way... She had years and years and years of activism around ending lynching. But the NAACP decided that she was too radical to to invite to join. And I'm like, this woman... This woman did all this work, all this work, all these years. She had to leave her home. She had to leave home. This is a woman who was, had previously been a school teacher. She, Her parents had passed away and she had to raise her brothers and sisters. You know, this is a woman who had basically given her life to black people who dearly loved black people. And they denied her entry to the NAACP because she was just too much. Right. This is back when the NAACP had been started by white people and they were worried that she would just kind of piss off the abolitionists and shit Mm. and and, and piss off the old abolitionists and all the old white establishment people and all the respectable, you know, Booker T. Washington black people. And. It's no different than how people still, you know, ignore the fact that Ella Baker was super crunk, right? That Ella Baker was leading young people back when it was only cool to organize around MLK's work, right? Or or Malcolm X's work. You know, Fannie Lou Hamer and Shirley Chisholm, all these like darker skinned you know, thick waisted, kinky haired, crunk, dark skinned black women who were doing legit political work, but who in a lot of cases we don't hear much about. We don't really hear much about them because it takes other black women today To, like, unearth their stories and to give them the credit where their credit is due. Right. And that's what I get frustrated about because I feel like when we think about the moment that we're living in now, we see people like Opal Tometi. We see people like Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors. I'm thinking, like, Charlene Carruthers at BYP 100. um, And those first three names are the founders of Black Lives Matter Network. We're thinking about people. I think about, obviously, my advisor, Kathy J. Cohen at the University of Chicago. Barbara Ransby, who's one of those historians who's been unearthing Ella Baker's work. Mm -hmm. You know? People like Ashley Yates, you know, people like Melina Abdullah or Fresco, she's also BYP one hundred, people like Eve Ewing and Jimmy Hampton, Raquel Willis, L. Hearns, we got Wajuki, you know, people who are doing legit work who are black women who do a lot of their labor and a lot of it they do for free. A lot of that labor, they do it for free. And then and
1: and oftentimes we'll find that black men will build off of their backs.
0: Right. Black women and fems be out here. Be out here, you know, transist black women and friends gender non conforming people, you know be out here doing work for us for black liberation, and they get erased, and it's just it boils my blood, you know it boils my blood because I'm like y'all wouldn't even have the freedom to do and say this shit that y'all are doing if it wasn't for these black women and femmes and gender non conforming folks who are given their lives every single day who are given their labor who stay up later than they should who get anxiety and depression who have hypertension who have all these things that they're working through in their lives just because they love black people so much and that's where i get like these there's so many implications here it's not about oh you're just pulling the race card and you're just a hater on kylie i bet you kylie sleeps like a fucking baby I bet you Kylie sleeps on fucking like 70,000 count threads shipped in from some Persian factory where some little tiny infant children were forced to sew the sheets by hand or some shit. Cause she don't give a shit about nobody. She don't care about none of y'all. or she doesn't none of, have to. She don't care about nothing, nothing, nothing. But the people that she's stealing from, the people that she's appropriating love the fuck out of us. And what have we done for them lately?
1: What? Yeah, if you if you didn't know all of those names, look them up. Look them up. Find out who they are. Google them. Blast their names out. Share with your friends. I mean, that that's what we should be doing. We should be lifting up the people that are doing the actual work. We should. And oftentimes are cast aside or
0: erased. Right. And then after we look them up and find out who they are, we should pay them what we owe them. Yes. Like what you hear? You can find my mom and dad, a.k.a. That Black Couple on the web at thatblackcouple.com. You can find them on Facebook at That Black Couple, and you can find them on Instagram and Twitter at thatblkcouple. If you have questions or comments about the show, email them at Couple at gmail.com. Thank you for listening.
1: And now it's time for the reflection. Let's do it. So, yeah, let's... You know, in the reflection, we always get a little personal. Yes. And so today we're talking about black women's work being erased.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I'm going to talk about the black woman that is closest to me, who is sitting... Who right ...next to me. Who did? Who married me for some reason <laughs> and thought it was a good idea to birth three children with me.
0: Yeah, that was interesting.
1: Yes, my wife, Jen Jackson. Um... <laughs> I mean, we were ta- we were listening to a whole bunch of people who were doing the work, and to be to be completely honest, you're doing the work too. Mm-hmm. You are out there. You're on Twitter. We see the trolls. You know, we write on WatercoolerCombos.com. Yep. A lot of times, what people don't realize is when you run a website or a blog. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think on our site we're pretty good at keeping some of the the somewhat offensive. Yeah. Comments in there just so people can see the actual dialogue that's happening. Right. But even even us, some of the ridiculous, just racist, homophobic, misogynist, just nonsensical name calling things come through that we even have to erase.
0: Some of them are funny though.
1: Yeah, I mean, they are funny because they're, they're just that outlandish. Yeah. yeah. But I, you know, I say that to say that you know, you you are out here doing doing a service and doing work, mm-hmm. and. A lot of times I think you don't get the right amount of acknowledgement for what you do.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: We had an instance recently where you did, to some degree, get some acknowledgement yeah. where, you know, you were at an event. You were you were on a panel speaking, and I was excited about it, partially because you were up there doing your thing, and I wanted to watch and see it. Mm-hmm. But then also because we had a night where we didn't have kids with us, and so we got <laughs> to be adults. And so, I, you know, I showed up. I was with you. You know, I was on your arm. You know, we're eating eating our d'oeuvres bougie and stuff right? bougie. and then the panel started and i had my camera out and i was just taking pictures because i'm like i gotta chronicle this we gotta have you know this on um, film yeah and i think it was like midway through the panel you know the moderator kind of called me out
0: yeah <laughs>
1: like like she was talking about you and then said oh yeah and jen you know she has a great husband look at him he's right there <laughs> being supportive taking pictures and number one it made me feel really uncomfortable because i'm like i'm not <laughs> I did, I did not come here to be looked at and like, you know, get this type of shine. I'm just here for you. You
0: didn't have your makeup on?
1: Right. I, yeah. My my face wasn't be, you know, you know, I, just, I had dressed up nice, but it was really just to look nice and to compliment you. It wasn't like, you know, the, the, the spotlight was going to be on me. Right. But then it also made me very uncomfortable because it was like somehow you you up here on a stage, you know, yeah. people are here to hear your opinion and listen to what you have to say. And somehow, even in that moment, people were shouting me out and giving me credit yeah. just just for being in the room. Like right. like I was in the room taking pictures. That was it. I wasn't doing anything else. I wasn't, you know, providing any type of production support. I w- you know, I didn't write a script for you to say, you know, I was just there taking pictures to say this is my wife and I love her and I want to have pictures of her, you know, shining and glowing. Yeah. And that what that's what happens to me a lot. And it's something that I'm also having to really work through and be very deliberate about it in my everyday life where. I get a lot of credit for little things like, oh, you, you watched your kids today. (laughs) Let's get, let's get you a slice of cake because I mean, you, you out here, you know, out here achieving it and overcoming, you know, all the, all the roles that that I will never
0: forget. I have to say at my graduation, remember that at my master's graduation, remember that older woman who was like, you're here, you're here. And you know what? I just thank you for it. Remember her?
1: I was stunned. <laughs> I remember that. I
0: was like, "Did you know her? Why did She? Wow. Who's this lady? She had a whole. She had a
1: whole long, drawn out conversation. She had a speech written. Like you are here. You are present. You are being being counted in a number. Oh my. <laughs> you should be a beacon to black men. Like, what are we doing? It was my I'm, graduation. I'm not getting a degree.
0: I was like, "Did you know this is my graduation, child? She was like, "But your husband." I was like, "Um, I didn't read the books and write the papers." <laughs> like, just, I mean, it's we're laughing, but it's really not funny. But this,
1: I mean, and this is real life, and, and that's why I like I like when we do the reflection because we take these like. You know these bigger, larger subjects subjects that are happening in pop culture or happening in the news cycle or whatever, and we yeah. were able to say, "Look, no, it's not just you know big stars and no. celebrities and you know just what Trump did, whatever. This is real everyday life Absolutely stuff. Absolutely, it
0: is. Absolutely, it is. And I think, like I and I, in terms of like I've I've obviously been underpaid probably most of my life. I, I don't think I've ever been paid what I'm worth. You know, I got an engineering degree from USC because I just really like math, and I went to go work at Disney thinking. You know, it's a place where dreams come true. Listen, I graduated at, what, 22? I still believed, okay? I still believed. I believed. We're going to let that go. It was nine years ago or longer. I don't know, 11? That's in the past. I'm moving on. But I believed. And I thought I would go to this company. They would take care of me because I trusted that Disney, of all places, would be, you know, a great family A great fit, Yeah. And it wasn't. They they underpaid me. I found out later that people who, some people had high school diplomas who were getting paid about the same amount as me. And people who, you know, had less experience than me were getting paid more than me in some cases. Mm-hmm. And that was infuriating, you know. And I was treated like shit. I, I remember when I was pregnant, people stole my work. When I went out to have a baby, I came back. They had taken my work and paraded it around as if it was theirs. When I got sick with meningitis, people had taken my work and presented it to top level executives. That happened three or four times.
1: And not, and not only sick with meningitis, sick N- near death. with meningitis, near death, While pregnant. and pregnant. Right. 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 And they took that as an opportunity. Right. They were
0: like, ooh. <laughs> and then they got an award. Don't right. forget. They got an award. They got an award. Don't forget that part. But, because you know. Because,
1: you, you know, you couldn't fulfill your responsibilities. So, we got to uh, reward them for So, we got to reward up.
0: them for stepping up. Right. But then I come back and and put all the pieces together. And it was like, okay, girl, you know, you're back. Mm -hmm, Okay. Mm -hmm." And I think that that's one of those things where it's really demoralizing. It's really demoralizing. And you really start to question yourself. And and at the time, in my early 20s and mid-20s, I internalized a lot of that stuff. I remember I would grate my teeth in my sleep. You know, I had times where I would just be crying at work. I mean, I would just cry. I went to the bathroom, I think. For There was a year there where I think I cried every day in the bathroom, at least once a day, sometimes more. And I just cried, and I was miserable. I I couldn't really get control over my life because I was in a situation where people were constantly surveilling me. They were taking my work, and they would do it in ways that were very obvious, but I, it was almost as if I couldn't say anything. I was the only black person on the team, and I was the youngest. And if I ever said anything, it was like, oh, there's Jen again. Oh, She's always making this about something. Yep. You know, I couldn't... I had to work late, long hours. I remember my boss telling me, oh, well, I want you to be an example for the other people on the team because, you know, if you can do it, then I want them to know that anybody can do it. And I was like, bitch, what are you trying to say? <laughs> like, <laughs> she said it like it was a compliment. I was like, that's a fucked up thing to say. You're trying to say that, what, me because I'm black and because I have a, a small child at home that if I can do it, then I can be the example... What am I? I'm like, was that movie Oliver? Am I fucking Oliver? Like, (laughs) how did
1: you pull that reference?
0: I've never even seen the fucking movie, but I know that the nigga has some some struggles. (laughs) Like, I know he has some struggles. But like, I just felt like she was like, you're going to be the example and I'm going to make you an example. And I'm like, and this is a white woman, obviously. Right. And so for me, getting paid less, being forced to work additional, I worked like 60 to 70 hours at that point. And then during the summer, we had a process that took even more hours. I was taken away from my family. It was causing mental and, and, and all types of emotional stress. I frequently was sick. I remember I was sick pretty much the entire year. I had some form of cold or flu or, and some, you, and or something.
1: Had, and you had to work through the sickness. And I had you to work through the sick,
0: sickness. I couldn't take a day off, right? Even when I was breastfeeding my children, you know. And I remember after I got out of that thinking, wow. I don't even know how I made it through those five years. I don't know how I did that for five straight fucking years. I don't know how I did it. But those are the ways also that we, you know, corporate America is its own thing. But I think that extrapolates to a lot of ways that we put ourselves in certain laborious kind of situations as black women and believe that they are the norm. Like we believe that that's normal. It might be an academic situation. It might be a professional situation. It might be a personal relationship. You know, it might be an intimate relationship where we feel like we're supposed to just do more physical and emotional labor with a a partner. You know, and I think there's a lot of ways that society conditions us, you know, to believe that we are supposed to do the physical and emotional labor in all walks of our lives. So we end up carrying that burden. We end up just thinking that that's something that we're supposed to do and we internalize and we're socializing that way. And that's what I want to push back against and intervene on in this conversation about the ways that we as black women were erased, but we don't have to internalize it, and we don't have to normalize it.
1: But that, but that is exactly why the erasure continues, because it's not just black women that are socialized to believe that. Right. It's the world at large that's socialized to believe that. Right. That you're supposed to take their work and erase them and, and take credit for it and, right. and build and create something for yourself.
0: I'm sure DeRoussel was like, "Well, she's not using it." Right,
1: like these people in Canada don't, don't know my Angelou. Why not me? I mean,
0: I'll just steal it and change it to French.
1: Yeah, and, you know, voila. I'll, you know, I'll change a couple words around. You know, thanks for the inspiration. <laughs> but I mean, that that's that that that's what has become the norm. And like you're saying, is we don't have to internalize that. So black women do not have to have to accept that and say, well, that's just how it is, and that's how it's always going to be. Right. And as anyone else that is not a black woman, we don't have to look at that. And say Yes, this is how we're supposed to operate. And yes, this is something that we're supposed to allow to continue with the people that we see around us. We all have a responsibility to call this out and say, no, that is so and so who did that. That is their work. They deserve the credit. We should be paying them. Right. And not even just paying them. We should be paying them at a premium.
0: Absolutely. We should be paying them at a fucking premium. Thank you so much for listening to episode five. You can now find us on iTunes. And now y'all know, I don't mess with no Apple on iTunes. It's Skynet. But I'm told that some of y'all like to listen to your podcast on there. So we are there on That Black Couple on iTunes. Please go to iTunes, listen to the podcast, give us all those high ratings and leave comments and share the episodes with all your friends, your little friends from around the way. Tell them to listen to it go on stitcher do the same thing hit the little hearts on soundcloud find us on google play all that drama all that mess then go to instagram follow us that blk couple go to twitter follow us that blk couple and then hit us up on facebook at that black couple and on the internet thatblackcouple.com thank you bye